You're listening to a Roddenberry Podcast. Well, fire up your computers and your phones, and if the reception's no good... How about ingesting a few lithium-ion batteries for good measure? It's Monday night at 7 p.m. You're with us, and that can only mean it's time for Mission Log Live. I'm John Champion. And I'm Holly Amos. Tonight, it's time to recap and discuss Star Trek Picard Season 2, Episode 8, Mercy. So get yourself a little snack, like four giant pieces of cake. <laughs> Join us as we talk about the latest in the lives of the crew of the Lacerna. As always, we want to hear from you in the Facebook chat and live with us. You know what to do. Click on the Zoom link. You can give us a ring, 669-900-6833. Enter the meeting code and password, and then you'll be in the Earl Green Room. Yes, and remember that tonight is a very special episode. They're all special episodes, but tonight is particularly a special episode because we'll be running late as planned since at 8 o'clock. We'll be joined by Picard co-creator, writer, and producer Kirsten Beyer and writer Mike Johnson to talk about their audio drama No Man's Land, as well as the myriad projects that uh, they have both touched in the Star Trek universe. Do not miss it and get your questions ready for them because, yes, as always, we rely on you and your questions to keep this little operation running. So as we are waiting for you all to line up in the Earl Green Room, let's see who is with us in the chat tonight. And for Forgive me, I, I don't have my stand, so I'm looking at another device over here, and I'll try to make this uh, the least awkward that I can, but let's say hi. Ooh, let's say I saw some new names in here right away. There's, uh, well, there's Paul. That's not a new name, but we got two Pauls just right off the top. We got Spencer. There's a new name for us in the live chat. There's Cosmo. Good to see you, my friend. There's Jane. There's Bob Amos. Hi, Dad. Of course. <laughs> There's Sam. Uh, let's see. There's Ken. There is John Cooley. 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 And uh, there's John Frazier. And uh, who else we got? Oh, lots uh, of Star Trek professionals. Yeah. Yeah. Just a ton. There's John Arminio, a podcaster in his own right and great commentator on Mission Log. Uh, let's see. There's Carlos. Always love to see you there for the live show. Rhea, welcome to the live show. And uh, oh, my gosh. Well, John Frazier says, I enjoy stuff. So... That, that's good, and I hope that you enjoy our stuff tonight and participate in our stuff. Uh, let's see, there's Dave, and uh, who else we got? Uh, there's probably another Dave coming along soon. There's uh, Michael, I believe Captain Mike as well, and uh, there's Dominic, and oh my gosh. Oh, yeah, there is other Dave, so glad to see Dave and other Dave. Uh, so many people joining us in the live chat very happy for that. Oh, there's Alan, the meme king of Mission Log. So wonderful to see you all. Get those questions and comments ready and then uh, call in, talk to Earl. You'll talk to us. And um, yeah, uh, then you're going to stick around for those special guests because I can't wait to talk to them. And I hope yeah. you can't wait to talk to them either. Right. Yeah, exactly. I haven't seen either one of them in a while. So I have, pandemic. Thanks. I, I have not seen them in ever. Uh, so this will be this will be new. And uh, or rely on your expertise to guide us through the interview. <laughs> expertise. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, hey, let's give you a quick rundown on what is happening in Mission Log Land before we get to the recap and then your calls and comments. Again, just uh, pick up the phone, use a one tap or better yet, hit that Zoom link and then talk to Earl because Earl, we don't want Earl to be lonely. 
and then he'll send you over to us so we're not lonely. This week on Mission Log, our coverage of Voyager continues Thursday with emanations. On Mission Log, the Orville. Okay, this is very exciting. They have an interview this week dropping on Wednesday with writer-producer David A. Goodman. There is Trek talk, there is Orville talk, there's talk about his uh, graphic novels for the Orville, so check that out. Very exciting. uh, If you want to see the video, it's on the Roddenberry YouTube channel, uh, or you can download the audio podcast on your favorite platform, and just be sure to follow them at ML underscore the Orville on Twitter. Uh, Mission Log Prodigy on hiatus. We're waiting for those new episodes to drop, but follow them at ML underscore Prodigy for news and updates as we get them, because there will be that. There might be some special episodes coming up as well. Mission Log Engage, follow that playlist on YouTube and, uh, you know, just go back and check out those episodes where Norman and I are answering your questions and comments about Mission Log and a lot of the topics that get raised on the main show. More of those are coming soon, I promise. And uh, in the meantime, please send us your comments and questions for future installments. Try to keep those under like 12 pages. That would be great. (laughs) That would be very helpful, much easier to answer that way. Uh, But the address to find all of the things happening in Mission Logland, uh, podcast.roddenberry.com. And of course, to follow us on YouTube, youtube.com slash Roddenberry Entertainment or Roddenberry Prod. And now, Holly and listeners, if you will allow me, I will recap you all on Mercy. Here we go. Season 2, Episode 8 of Picard. Mercy. How many things are happening? All of them. All at once. So, let's break it down. Picard and Guinan start out being interrogated. Okay, interviewed by Agent Wells of the FBI, and he's actually pretty cool about things, just extremely curious if they are extraterrestrials, because who wouldn't be? He does think they're here to sabotage the Europa mission, and that's where it gets a little darker. Darker like they could disappear in this L.A. basement and nobody would notice. Speaking of L.A., let's catch up with Seven and Raffi, who are trying to track down Gerardi, who is more quickly being overtaken by the Borg Queen. She's doing all kinds of weird stuff like breaking windows, sucking up batteries, and, oh yeah, killing a guy because she couldn't exactly assimilate him. That leads Seven to speculate about the Queen's state of mind, her frustrations, with some sarcastic comments from Raffi. They'll have to bicker about that later, because they do encounter Gerardi going ham on some car batteries, but even as they fight it out, Gerardi refrains from killing them, which makes even Seven think that there is a shred of mercy, ding, 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 the Gerardi part still in there. Let's check in on Dr. Soong's Malibu Hexagon Dreamhouse, Corey uses VR, with a little bit of an unexpected assist from Q, to get to the bottom of her backstory. She's shocked, disoriented, and angry to discover that she's one of dozens of creations by Dr. Sung, and then Q offers her the ultimate prize, freedom, in the form of something she can take that will wrest her away from her father's protection, a real life of her own in the world without him. She takes it, and she warns Soong that she'll call the police if he follows her. He doesn't own his creation. When Kore is gone, that's an opportune time for Gerardi to show up and make Dr. Soong an offer he can't refuse. Save his legacy by preventing Rene Picard from going up in the Europa mission. Gerardi just needs Soong's cooperation and a few things that he has to, he has 
to make her stronger. On La Serena, the kid eats cake, so much cake, while Rios and Dr. Ramirez have a little uh, emotional breakthrough. It's sweet, like the cake. But eventually, even that has to take a backseat to the main problem. The transporter is still offline, rife with Borg bugs, and that's going to prevent anyone from getting back. And what about the man of the hour? Picard and Guinan get to the bottom of Agent Wells and his personal concern about the Europa mission. It's bad enough that the authorities may contribute to scrubbing the mission, despite Picard's best efforts to thwart Q. Speaking of whom, he finally shows up when Picard and Guinan are separated, and she figures out that he's dying. She also figures out that Wells is hiding something of a personal nature that's motivating him, and she contacts Picard in a kind of vision. When Wells was a kid, he stumbled upon a couple of Vulcans doing some kind of survey on Earth. Maybe he grew up near Carbon Creek. We're not really sure. One of those Vulcans tried to erase young Wells' recent memory with a mind meld, but got beamed out of there before it could stick. So, all his life, Wells has been trying to open up those X-Files on his own, trying to determine, if we're not alone, then who's here with us? Picard assures him it's all good, Vulcans are the good guys, but that's too little too late because Wells has just been fired, which is great timing because he just let Picard and Guinan out of the interrogation room. Once out and reunited with Rafi and Seven, they've got few options, though. La Serena's transporters are blocked by Gerardi, who is luring Sung to do her bidding to get the parts she needs to assimilate humanity, leaving Picard and company with Talin's transporter as their only way to get back and defend their ground against Gerardi and Sung with a mercenary group of soldiers who are about to be Borgified. Hold on tight. The end. Yeah. Thoughts, questions, complaints, worries, Holly? What's your uh, initial uh, my, reaction? Here? My first thought is I'm excited that it ties into my favorite episode of Enterprise. Really? Is Carbon yeah. Creek your favorite? Carbon Creek is my favorite episode of Enterprise. Yeah. Really? Yeah, really? Yeah. Not, uh, not these are the voyages. <laughs> no. <laughs> Great episode. Shouldn't have been the finale. Um, uh, no, I really enjoy Carbon Creek. And, um, you know, the Vulcan in, in that episode... Um, says that, you know, these survey missions have been going, I mean, at least since the 50s, right? They actually crash landed in Carbon Creek. But he actually specifically mentions one that happens in the late 70s. He does, really? Yeah. I don't remember that. Do you think Martin Wells saw that? Well, uh, that could very well be. He's the right age. Yeah, yeah. He's the right age. Yeah, you have to assume that scene took place like in the early 70s or something. So that makes sense. Yeah. I did not put two and two together there because I don't remember the mention of the 70s being being the the timeline there. By the way, Earl actually tied it all together. He ties it to uh, First Contact. Uh, So he actually, he caught the Vulcans fishing for salmon. (laughs) That's what they were up to. And that's, yeah, yeah. Go back and listen to Sci-Fi 5 for April 5th and uh, you'll get the whole story about the uh, the first contact salmon. And that is all canon, by the way. It's <laughs> definitely all canon. Hey, uh, let's go to our first call and let's see what Rhea has to say about all of this. Rhea, welcome to the show. How are you doing tonight? Uh, you're, you're quiet. That's how self. you are. That's there we go. There we go. Background. 
All righty. Yes. Yes. Hi. I'm back from Chicago. I had to hide the fact that I'm actually lying in bed, although you can see my pillow. <laughs> That's okay. That's I'm fine. sitting on my couch. Yeah. Nobody cares. Yeah. No, you, you're at the bar. I couldn't find a fancy like Picard Guinan 10 forward bar or anything. Screenshot. Oh. So. Oh, you know what? I yeah. one of us could send you a picture from the right. Ten Forward Bar here, which yeah. is the oh, yeah. the bar from set. So yeah. you know, we'll get you hooked up with that. Yeah, they don't do those fancy things in Nebraska, but uh, yet, <laughs> you know, yeah. maybe they'll take the show on the road. I think that would be cool. I mean, or maybe to, I'll to move. Be, to be fair, they only did it here for ten days, which yeah. is not yeah. nearly enough. Uh, but what is on your mind about uh, tonight's Picard? Okay. Wow. Well, first of all, I, I loved it. I'm loving this season. There's maybe one episode I didn't connect with, but um, oh, oh, wait, 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 which episode is that? I got to know. Yeah. Uh, episode seven, the the one where they're in Picard's head the whole time. Yeah, that's kind of lost. Oh, yeah, okay, that's the one that I, that I got stalled on the story. And so I was like, mm. I just. He- yeah. You know, I, I know that Norm liked that episode more than I did, uh, mm-hmm. but I feel like those two, six and seven together, I felt like those were plot points that could have easily been boiled down into just a couple of moments to, to get across. Like, here's what we need to get across. Now we're going to move on to this, which I really liked, which mm-hmm. just feels like, okay, now now the plot is getting into gear. Did, yeah. did you feel that way? or? Yes, yes. Like this yeah. one. There's so much to talk about and so much to talk about plot wise. And mm-hmm. I'll leave that to people who are more intelligible than I am. But one thing <laughs> <What>? I really. <laughs> it's not us. <laughs> so this is your chance. So. Uh, there's plenty of Pauls out there that can make complete sentences. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Most of them can. I'm not going to say which ones yeah. can't, but most of the majority of Pauls can. Mm. And Stovacore cake, but let's not talk about that. Mm. But no, back to the episode. Yes, yes. One thing that I just absolutely loved. I was kind of wondering, so the whole Raffi thing, I was wondering in the back of my mind, were they ever going to acknowledge the fact that when we first met Raffi in season one, she was an addict living in a shack in, you know, in the desert. Down by the river. Yeah. Down by the dried up river. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And this episode when they, they were touching on her manipulation. Oh, it, it, it made me so happy. Not that I'm happy that she's manipulating people and all that, but Mm -hmm. um, you know, having, we've all been around, you know, manipulative people and kind of controlling people. And I was once married to a manipulative addict and, you know, kind of seeing the, um, I don't know, it just bringing that back. It just, it seemed like that brought her character. Just, it just rounded out her character so much for me. And the flashback with Elnor, um, you know, it just makes so much more sense now why she's so, so, so distraught and guilty over Elnor's death knowing that she manipulated him into staying in Starfleet when really he wanted to go back to Vashti. Um, gives you a little insight into why she and, and Seven didn't quite work out. Mm-hmm. Um, although I think there's still hope. Um, <laughs> no, I just like I just loved so much about this episode, but I was so glad that they, I don't know, brought up the whole Raffi thing. Well, yeah, well, I that- mean, they've, they've been making, they haven't, the the episode where they are essentially crashing the Europa Gala or whatever, you do mm-hmm. see Rafi looking at some alcohol and then ordering like a club soda or something. Yeah. So they've mm-hmm. they haven't outright talked about it, but they've made reference to it. Mm-hmm. Um, the scene between her and Seven, where she's be- first of all, I think it's big of her character to like later admit. Yeah. That, yeah, I do manipulate people. And like, mm-hmm. I mean, that's that, you know, she has to come to that 
realization and admission in order to explain why she feels so guilty about Elmore dying because, you know, he, she thinks he died because of her. Um, Michelle Hurd's facial expressions when Seven Mm -hmm. is yelling at her are incredible. Mm -hmm. Like that's A plus acting girl. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yes. From both of them. Um, and yeah, I remember that scene at the gala where she was kind of eyeballing um, the alcohol and, oh, darn it. I had a point and I forgot what it was. <laughs> no, sorry. I talked too long. <laughs> no, I was going to tell you, Rhea, that uh, in the chat, Jane is saying agreed, Rhea, I agreed to you with your uh, points about all of that with Rafi. And, and I, I do think that there is... Um, you know, it's sort of like for better or for worse, you know, different people want different things out of Star Trek. Something mm-hmm. that I really appreciate about what's happening now is that there is this emotional weight and emotional realism to, I think, Seven's story uh, mm-hmm. all season long, even though we, we've gotten kind of uh, different frequencies of her actually appearing. Um, but I think there's a real emotional relevance to what's happening with her. Mm-hmm. And th- that then reflected in and Rafi, who is there's so much there with that character. Like you said, we we met her with her addictions in place. And then there was that very kind of tragic, uh, ill-fated meeting with uh, her kid in season one. And we realized like, okay, she's walking around with all of this baggage. Then of Mm -hmm. course, she's going to try to bond with somebody like Elnor. And of course, then if she just, if there's something personally motivated out of that, she wants him around, Mm -hmm. then his loss is going to sting even more. And I really like uh, Seven taking her to task about her manipulation. I I thought that was just, uh, that felt like a very realistic scene, regardless of the context, regardless of the sci-fi happening around it. Mm -hmm. Um, That kind of human interaction felt very real. And I thought they were both wonderful in it. And I loved how Elnor had taken her to task, you know, with his absolute candor. Yeah, right. (laughs) His lines were hilarious. Yeah. But it, it, you know, it, it takes a lot. um, I mean, yeah, she's been called out on her manipulation, but like Holly said, it takes, it takes a big, big person who's been doing this her whole life to actually admit to it. Um, And, you know, an addict addiction doesn't just go away like that. Um, So that's something that kind of bothered me a little bit that, okay, you know, she was conveniently an addict in season one and that's, that's gone away. So I'm just, I was so happy with how they, I don't know, addressed it in this episode. Um, I I do like to think that, um, yeah, it it felt weird that it was there and, and went away. I like to think that it's the kind of thing that, oh, okay. She did in that gap in between, um, go with Starfleet, there has to be resources. There has to be, you know, ways for her to fight that addiction and, and well, and it's not to say that, you know, it's not to say that she's not still struggling with it either. Like we we see that she's, she's eyeballing some, some booze. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the behaviors go hand in hand, the addiction and the manipulation like those. And I, um, I, I guess I see them as part of the same thing, just kind of based on who I used to be married to, but, um, the, she was blaming Picard in season one. You know, it's your fault that I'm here, you know, mm-hmm. drunk on the, the spice or the snake oil or whatever it was, um, you know, when people weren't doing what she wanted and she was responding with, you know, addiction and, and substance abuse and that kind of thing. So, um, 
yeah <laughs> i don't I, know like i said I, i'm real happy with how they've treated it I, I will say this though, and, it, and it's not to take away from the the very good arc that they've built for these characters, but stylistically, and and this is just you know purely my perspective on it, my my preference on it. Um, I didn't love the placement of the flashback because mm-hmm. this was an episode that we already, and that's why I wrote my recap the way I did. You already had four separate stories happening. And yeah. then within one of those four stories, another it, story. Yeah. Hey, you, you manipulate people. Uh, yes, I do. Boom. Now let's go back to this time that I manipulated Elnor. And here's why I feel so horrible about him dying because right. it's on my hands. I wish that there were another way to work that detail into the plot without mm-hmm. feeling like it's so disjointed. But look, I, I'm here. I'm not you know, sitting in a writer's room on Picard. So do you think uh, that it should have been earlier so that we more understood her motivation? Maybe, maybe, maybe there's a way to drop that in Mm -hmm. some other way. And and then you possibly could have had seven then go for that to say, yeah, you do manipulate people like, uh, like you did with Elnor. Oh no, that's a little too close to home. Yeah, I know. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. No, I agree with that. And the first, my first viewing when the f- flashback started, I was a little confused and then kind of figured it out, which, um, you know, like you said, there's so many different plots going on at once. And I'm sure that other callers are, will get into this. Like, please don't do a discovery and just like snap your fingers in the last episode. I mean, there's so much to tie up here in these last two episodes yeah, that yeah. Um, I really hope they do, you know, as good of a job with that as they have with with the entire season so far but um i had another thought too and i forgot what it was <laughs> okay hey <laughs> um, take notes <laughs> well, well look at it, it while you're thinking about that uh very important it's a slightly off topic here but mm-hmm. very important update uh from the chat and that is uh captain mike saying to dave uh i followed your lead and i got a lumanati's tonight in chicago so good for you like lumanati's pizza holly i don't like deep dish pizza i figured that out while we were in chicago oh i should i might as well quit the show now i had it Uh, like two or three times and i was like why is this soggy but did you have lou's did you have lumanati's pizza i gotta be honest i don't even remember where we went i have no idea ask phrase one of the times we went it was with him okay i guess all right phrase chime in here uh so let's see david says when i went out i got the sausage but added onions you got it look it's a very complicated thing in the chat right now so people okay. feel free to chime in but is right. the crust cooked all the way through well yeah yeah and their secret is you do a little cornmeal on there yes. so it gets crispy it stays crispy it's got the right amount of heft to hold that mm-hmm. pizza mm-hmm. look i'm not going to steer you wrong with food okay 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 you're, you're <laughs> torturing me because captain mike knows i was just in chicago earlier today we're like to be 737s passing in the night and keep missing what? each other. So enjoy your pizza without me, Captain Mike. Ah, uh, there you go. All right, Rhea, thank you so much for calling in. And on that, we'll move along on that to, note, our, to our goodbye. next caller. And uh, that would be one of the Pauls, one of the myriad of Pauls, who is part of the Mission Log <laughs> family. There are so many Pauls. It's like a, a multiverse of Pauls, and we have them all. Uh, Paul, good to see you, my friend. Welcome. 
Here I am. I, I'm saying welcome to you. Isn't that funny? Welcome myself. I, I feel welcome uh, your, yeah. uh, into your office. So yes. I um, yeah. had flashbacks of, of watching Holly look at my deep dish pizza in the room going, I don't even like this. Yeah. I, did, I, had it th- I had it three times while we were in Chicago and every single one you get to the middle of it mm-hmm. and it's like not cooked. I, that, that something's <laughs> wrong. Something's very wrong. Then I, yeah. Uh, we'll, anyway, we'll, you know, yeah, yeah. We'll we'll, we'll show. <laughs> we'll worry about we'll Chicago later. Vegas mm-hmm. is next on the line. So <laughs> I, I, first of all, I absolutely adore Rhea and her um, analysis on something that blew right by me. You know, what's what's fascinating about these episodes is everybody gravitates to something that that's about you know their history or something that affects them. And the thing that got me was I'm watching Q be an FBI agent here, which is like, at first I thought the FBI agent was going to be the Q, you know, like a different right. Q, but no, right. here's Q so talking to Guinan. And then I'm thinking, well, the other guy's like a man in black. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm, I'm going back to my eighties vintage shows here and figure would Q be better in X-Files or men in black? <laughs> I'm open for discussion here. Oh, oh, that's interesting. That's interesting. Um, I guess the trouble with both of those is a part of the appeal of both of those stories is all the people who don't know what's going on. And then you've got a Q who presumably could know everything that's going on. So every time you get to the end of an X-Files story, boom, like Q all automatically has all the knowledge of the universe to uh, to solve that issue to, and, and categorize it, whether it's naturally occurring phenomenon or something that uh, Mulder would be after, you know, a supernatural or alien uh, non-earthly presence that, that's causing whatever that problem is. Now, Men in Black... Men in Black might be more interesting because then Q actually does have the resources and the wherewithal to kind of take us all over the universe, you know? So maybe he's better suited there. Did did you guys feel, you know, there was the whole tease when we introduced Wells. Oh, he's the same actor from Voyager, and maybe he's tied into uh, you know the the Wells class time ship and all. Did were you were you hoping for that, or how, how did you feel there? Totally head over my head, man. I, I <laughs> no, can't remember yeah. yesterday, let alone a Voyager <laughs> episode from years gone by till you guys review it. Um, well, yeah, we'll get to it in like three I just, years. So, I just yeah. thought he was going to be the Q. I mean, I thought he would have yeah. been a great Q, but, you know, so be it. Um, no, I thought he would have been a great Q, too. I thought he, I thought he would have been awesome. And I thought that's what they were leading to with that little that that moment in the bar. But then people were speculating like, oh, he because it's the same actor like, oh, he's this guy from Voyager. He's a time traveler, too. I'm glad they didn't go there. I think it's perfectly OK for Star Trek to recast actors in different roles and not have them be exactly the same person. We all, you know, we can have that with Talin and, and Laris. Like, I'm glad for the resemblance, and I think Ola Brady's wonderful, but I'm glad at least up until now with what we know, she's, she's not the same, you know? So I, I, I'm glad that they just left it like, no, he's just a guy, and he's just as a kid, had this weird experience. Well, but speaking of another Wells, you know, like Peter Wells has played two different characters. Oh, right. Yeah, of who course. Are wildly similar, but not the same person. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Very um, much so. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't think he's the same character as Relativity. That, I mean, no. that would be an interesting connection, but... 
I don't think he needs to be. I don't think he needs to be an ancestor. I don't think we need other ancestors who look exactly like their, you know, 13th great grandchildren 500 years later. I don't think we need more of that. I, I think it's fine for him to just be an FBI guy who had this weird experience, you know. And, but I do hope we get him back because did you guys feel a little slighted that at the end of the episode, they're just like, well, I lost my job. Thanks yeah, for the help. Ex- yeah, I have that written down here. I'm like, <laughs> okay, um, poof, the MIB is gone. He's just <laughs> like, uh, he's, he's gone. I got fired. Within the time it took to arrest and interview, how many days was this supposed to be? Was this a couple of days? Was it 24 hours? Right. You know, did somebody get fired, particularly when they hired Q at some point? Um, yeah. Because you assume that he was responsible for getting all those agents. So it's it's sort of a disjointed mess considering Q has lost his powers. So um, a little odd, but definitely for storytelling, a bit of time compression, very compressed. Yeah. yeah. Um, I have uh, just a couple more points here and then we'll turn it over to my, our good friend, Alan. Um, The, you have Corey now wandering around LA. Of course, (laughs) people wouldn't notice in LA because people like her are wandering around all the time, you know, (laughs) so, Uh (laughs) um, and, and it's, it's just odd. And then you have this poor bearded guy who's half borgified, who's going to get some sort of autopsy. There he is at a garbage heap. Somebody's going to pick him up, take him to the morgue, and they're going to find something odd with him. So, you know, can we also talk about the, the amount of butterflies like, listen, yes. red beard guy might not be, you know, some person that makes too huge of a change in his lifetime. But like, what if he inspires somebody? What if he has yeah. a grandchild that like stop squashing butterflies? Exactly. Exactly. Although I, I did. I had a similar note to you, Paul, where I, I said, you know, for all these things, like, it's amazing what you can get away with in downtown L.A. Like that that's not not totally out of the realm of possibility, like dead body, uh, just ripping batteries out of cars, throwing people across parking lots. And you can do all of that while in an evening dress and combat boots. I might yep. go try that tonight. Rhea Rhea tried to figure out where those boots came from. And I think, um, you know, there's cosplay to be had. And as a collector, I got to say now there's at least two versions of that dress available. There's the new version, right? you know, and do you want to collect the new version or the beat up version or, you know, some poor person is torn and will try and collect both and probably spend, I don't know, 20 grand, but (laughs) (laughs) you got to feed the economy somehow. So exactly. Anyway, live long long and prosper. Always good to see you too. We'll look forward to the end of this uh, fascinating uh, series of episodes and um, over to Alan. All right. Thanks so much. Well, hey, uh, Alan, we're going to make you hold on for just a moment for a couple of reasons, because we're at the bottom of the hour. Uh, One thing, of course, you know, uh, we do have some callers lined up. We got Alan, then we got Cosmo. But if you've already called or if you're waiting to call, do so, because our guests will be here at the top of the hour. And seriously, how often do you get a chance to talk to a showrunner from the show you're watching right now? That would be Kirsten Beyer from Star Trek Picard. She, so. she wrote the episode that we're talking about. She so. wrote the episode. and, and co-wrote. She, was, there's, there's, yeah. she was, yeah, she co-wrote it. So come on, now now's your chance. And I actually, I called somebody out on Twitter who was complaining about something. Well, they did this wrong. And they're like, cool. 
call when the showrunner is on. <laughs> Let's have that conversation then. So now is your chance. Uh, but before we get to our next call and then welcome our guests at the top of the hour, time, of course, to say thank you to all of you who are supporting Mission Log on Patreon, patreon.com slash mission log. There is so much there. I mean, look, here's the thing. Bare bones, bare minimum, if you sign up for that dollar a month, you get early access to all of our shows. You get that unedited, unexpurgated version where Norm and I hang out, we chat a bit, you get to hear all the cursing that Earl cuts out later. So you get to hear all of that, and that that's worth the price of admission right there. You get swag, depending on how many... Uh, depending on what layer of support you are, you get different swag, you get different exclusive items created for our Patreon. And most importantly, at any level of contribution, you get access to the Mission Log Discord. And that truly has a life of its own. There are so many channels of discussion there, everything from current week Star Trek. I mean, literally, as soon as a new episode of Picard or Discovery or Coming Soon Strange New Worlds drops – there are people in there talking about what they just saw, and that is a very lively conversation. There's also meetups that we plan at cons and events. There is the Epicureanism board, which is my personal favorite. There is so much happening in that Discord, and you get it exclusively with our Patreon. So go over there, join us, patreon.com slash mission log. Again, for as little as a dollar a month, which, which, I shouldn't even be telling this. You get a discount if you sign up for a year. It's literally $10.80 for a year. So patreon.com slash mission log. We will see you there. All right. Back can I to read? Our, can oh, I read something depressing? I would love for you to read something depressing. <laughs> Make it fun, though. The, oh, okay. This is in <laughs> relation to the butterflies. Oh, okay. Right uh, to catch is in the chat. He said he can't remember what movie it's from, and Carlos is is saying that it might be the butterfly effect with Ashton okay. Kutcher. I can't. I can't remember that movie came out when I worked at a video store, but he says. That somebody in it says, I hate to tell you, for, but for the mo most people are not butterflies and their absence has no substantial impact on history. <laughs> oh, <laughs> but I mean, come on, but you never really know. You don't know. That's the uh, point. Like, yeah, like an individual may not, but their interaction with somebody, I, you know, you just you don't know. You don't know. There's a lot of good conversation there tonight. But yes, uh, uh, Asking Butterfly Effect with uh, Ashton Kutcher, uh, which was uh, a weird movie. Um, <laughs> let's, let's see. Uh, oh, and, and there is a good question. To, who, who posed that? Was it Chris or Carlos who said, you know, why are her friends only calling her Gerardi now and not Agnes? Uh, which is a little strange uh, that they uh, did make that shift. Maybe they yeah. don't know like what to call her because she's not quite the queen yet, but she's not Agnes. True. True. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that that's that's a good point. Uh, so we also have, um, oh, by the way, <laughs> Dominic, who says, I, I love the Mission Log Discord and I love having you there, Dom. You're awesome. And we have a lot of fun on our Thursday afternoon chats. Uh, and Dom also telling us all that he recently watched Ice Pirates. Now, I don't want to go like through a whole separate show on Ice Pirates, but yes, yes, absolutely. That is, it is a movie. 
I will say that it about it. It is a Ice movie Pirates. that exists. It is a movie that exists. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks everybody for joining in on the chat. Keep it going. We'll keep referring back to your comments there. But let's see what Alan has to say tonight. Alan, our king of the Riker meme for Mission Log. How's it going tonight, sir? Hi, I'm doing pretty good. Hi, hi, John. Hi, Holly. It's good to good to see you guys. Hopefully my internet isn't being dragged through a sewer today. So hopefully (laughs) you just dropped off last week. Just I know. You know, pretty good tonight, actually. So yeah, perfect. New modem working good. Oh, Oh, excellent. Cool. All right. Well, you, you look good. You sound good. What's on your mind tonight? Perfect. Yes. Well, I, I mean, you know, I, I, yeah, the, the, the whole butterfly effect thing is, is, is a little weird. It would be weird if like, the guy who got the the roadhouse throat rip uh, turned out to be like, <laughs> you know, an ancient um, relative of Rikers or 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 somebody. Oh no, or the beard! Oh the no! Beard. Yeah, yeah, see. But uh, um, or 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 wait, not not even the guy. It could be one of those cars. Like like, what if Gerardi oh. is ripping the battery? out of a car that somebody had to go get because like they were on their way to perform life-saving surgery for somebody who's, you know, the 10th great grandchild does something important in the future. Like there are all these things that we don't know, right? Yeah. Um, some ancient O'Brien is now going to be late for a job interview. <laughs> See, exactly. <laughs> it's yeah. This, there's, there, it's a whole can of worms. Um, That's a show I want to see, by the way. That'll be a new uh, Star Trek spinoff, The Ancient O'Briens. No, but, and by the way, we haven't, yeah. I mean, we haven't, I, we mentioned it last episode too, because that's when this originated. But, you know, Rio's having his girlfriend and, his, and her child on the ship. Just, mm. oh yeah, he can just, here's a replicator. <laughs> All the cakes. What are you doing? All the All cakes. The cakes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this honestly, this goes back to what I think are two of the more interesting uh, aspects of the show that haven't gotten a lot of screen time. And I think wisely so with Seven, because we get pretty much everything across that we need to with the subtle moments that she has. Like, what? yeah, how much is she being torn with this experience of being fully human (laughs) and in a world that she seems to operate pretty easily in and then you have the world of dr ramirez and her child which kind of sucks and then they get shown this future technology and this this great and benevolent and very handsome captain rios like what do they want out of their life so these are two threads that i think are pretty well because i'm i'm thinking that it could go one one of two ways with them being on the ship right it can either go Mm -hmm. the way of they stay in 2024 and they basically like have these tall tales sort of <laughs> like Wells about mm-hmm. what happened. You know, we got taken up to a ship and, uh, or they take these two people with them. a la you know, mm-hmm. Jillian Taylor, Taylor going yeah. Oh, yeah. In the future, but like, what if one of them is supposed to make some giant contribution? <laughs> like, <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. I, on the on the official mission log discord i i did jokingly <laughs> post a, yes exactly <laughs> i did post a couple of weeks ago uh my expert bookmaking uh predictions on odds for how the rios thing was going to end up mm. and part amicably was two to one 
Um, he stays in the past five to one. <laughs> um, she and the kid go to the future was 10 to one. Mm. And she's secretly his ancestor was 20 to one. Whoa, whoa. Okay. Oh, God. Is this a Bashir oh, situation? My. Oh, Possibly, my. yeah. <laughs> or, or, a future, or a fry on Futurama whatever you're going to do. Oh yeah. <laughs> okay. So anybody who has not seen that post, then go there and uh, <laughs> look, we're just going to start putting money on it. Okay. Yeah. That's, you know, that's what I, we'll do. I take no responsibility for this. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So other than uh, weird, creepy stuff with Dr. Ramirez, uh, what's on your mind tonight? Oh, weird, creepy stuff with the Sooms. Uh, Whoa. Uh, hello. Move yeah. over, Sarek. I think we've got a new worst dad on Star Trek. <laughs> Because, man. Wait, okay, so between Worf, uh, Sarek, and uh, Adam, Adam Soong, Soong, they're all competing for the Father of the Year prize. Yes. Ooh, yeah. 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 Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Third, third, yeah. Third, <laughs> second prize is the set of steak knives. Third prize, <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's, um, but, but I, I really like leaning into that with Brent because one of the nice things about meeting any of the other Soongs in other Star Trek when we started to introduce that line was kind of the weird bent perspective that yeah. those guys had that that odd line of like playing God versus just you know using a new technology to benefit others so it, it, yeah, it I mean, kind of tracks yeah. yeah but we do find out like what the connection is between Soong and Renee right so, I mean, it's mm-hmm. said almost passively, Jurati mm-hmm. Queen, I don't know what to call her. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you either allow her to go on this mission and then she ends up finding something something that renders your work obsolete or yeah. she doesn't go. And basically, uh, humanity falls into complete disarray and then they turn to you to save it. That's what he wants. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. First of like, all, as a, yeah, as a car fan, I vote for Borgatti. Ooh, oh, oh. oh that's good all right all right that, that's canon now so everybody uh yeah yeah we got that so put that in the chat make sure that doesn't get lost good job and that's um, a very that's a very like bond villain kind of thing though it is right he's yeah. completely willing because the presentation is is that that for humanity to be saved now and to mm-hmm. not have to go through any more suffering like he would he would suffer personally right like because yeah. she says that mm. you'll you die in you know 90 proof vomit or something like that <laughs> right well that's um, an alternative yeah well, the alternative is all of humanity line. all of humanity suffers yeah and then they turn to you to repopulate the world and that's why he like that's so selfish, dude. Oh, yeah. yeah. But, but yeah. That, that's a totally, that's a total Bond villain thing. It's just yeah. like humanity is corrupt and terrible. So we're going to, we're going to basically kill off 90% of the population, but then I will emerge as their savior, you know? Yeah. That's, it's a, yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a decent twist on your, uh, on your Carl Stromberg. Uh, totally. Hugo yeah. Drax. Hugo Drax. Know. Yeah. 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 I always think of Carl Sagan's pale blue dot speech and like in glory and triumph for yeah. like a yeah. fraction to, fraction of a millisecond there, you yeah. know, yep. 
to become, you know, masters, masters of, of tiny, a fraction of a dot. Yeah. Of a, of a, <laughs> That's what he's doing. Like a mote yeah. of dust. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty twisted, but pretty brilliant how they've arrived at that. Well, and, yeah. and I, I, I do like this idea. I mean, it's somebody who is very pro science. I, I do like this, um, this direction they've gone with the character who has all the ability in the world, who has all the motivation in the world, thinks that he is doing the right thing for the right reasons up to a certain point, but then gets to this crisis point where then it becomes about ego. Then it becomes about saving himself. Mm-hmm. Then it be, yeah, all these, other, yeah. Yeah, because how can he in that moment justify like, well, how do I get to the one where I'm like the savior? Yeah. You yeah, can't justify right. in that moment, like knowing that like humanity is going to almost entirely die off and suffer. How do, yeah, how do I how do I get to that? But it's good for me. I yeah, really, I really want it to be good. There's going to be a statue of me in San Francisco Bay. Like, yeah, right. He right. and Zephyr Cochran need to have some talks about statues because yeah. different, wildly different. Wildly, things. yes. Yeah, yeah different yeah. approaches. I don't want a statue. What are you talking about? Told <laughs> about the statue. <laughs> What else is on your mind tonight, Alan? Oh, just um, yeah. I, I I gotta say that I I loved what you and Rhea were talking about uh, with regards to Michelle Hurd and Rafi. I do think that this sort of like really crystallized and pulled into focus a lot of what they've been doing with her character over the season. I I kind of get what you're saying about the the timing and the placement of the, of the flashback. Mm-hmm. But I think I like that a little bit better than some of the things where she's seen him just randomly in places. Cause that mm. reads as crazy and she's not crazy. Yeah. Right. You know, there, there was a point where I was like, has this like, has, has she gone off the deep end because of Eldor getting killed? No, it's just a whole lot of guilt. And, you know, I think that works really well. And in fact, I think, They've done a really good job with Rafi and Se- and Annika or Seven mm-hmm. and Rios in that they've been able to play the the sort of inner conflicts of these characters very well with very sort of limited screen time. And yeah, it has sort of been stretched out over a couple of episodes. Yeah. But I feel like the emotionality of it has sort of pulled through. So yeah good yeah. good job show for good sure. job show for good sure yeah show. all right alan well thanks yeah. for your uh comments contributions tonight and uh we'll say goodbye for right now anyway yeah. all right have a good one okay, live long we'll and prosper <laughs> likewise you too <laughs> uh we have one more caller standing by who we'll get to in just a second here uh it's a twofer actually so uh, we'll see them in a moment a couple of other observations wanted to drop in uh one is that uh agent wells's coffee mug absolutely gigantic that that is <laughs> a conspicuously huge coffee mug but i relate to it um, is I, he related to janeway Oh, maybe. <laughs> maybe there's our other Voyager tie-in. He looks like uh, yeah. he looks like dude from uh, Relativity. Um, I, there was something. There's a topic that we haven't gotten to yet, and maybe we'll come back to that a little bit after our next call or during our next call. And that is the revelation here that Q is dying, which right. I thought was handled 
great because we're this whole season we've been asking what's up with Q, what's going on with him, and finally we have to have the reveal at some point. I thought it was so poetic that we have that reveal with Guinan and we have that reveal where he is just angry and he, he doesn't quite fully grasp what that means. And it, but he has this great line where he talks about how he hoped that death was uh, that he met it with the warm glow of meaning. And I absolutely love that line uh, that that he even recognizes the drawbacks of immortality. And there's almost this envy that mortal beings get to appreciate things because they end. And I thought that was such a, a nice twist to have on the Q character that we really haven't had before. We've had Q lose his powers, but of course well, he got him back. This specific Q, you know. we this did. This specific, yeah. We did see a Q not want to be alive anymore. Mm, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Good point. Good point. So I mean, they can yeah. they can die and they can you know they can be killed, but but only they, by another Q. Only by another Q. Up until Q, now right. that we know, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I'm very curious to see uh, to see where we get with. Well, that. I think it's a nice sort of metaphor for humans and what we believe might be an afterlife and mm-hmm. you know how we struggle with the concept of of death and how we're afraid even though we don't know what's on the other side because he doesn't know either he's yeah. like i he talks I about the unknown believe, yeah. yeah the unknown and i'm choosing yeah. to believe this and like whatever he's choosing to believe is obviously like comfort to him which is the same way that people sort of use you know their own personal beliefs and religions and their beliefs about whether or not there's an afterlife and heaven and hell and what that looks like. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a nice reflection of the human species, which is what Star Trek's always done. So Spencer has an interesting comment. He says, maybe this is what Q meant when he said this was Picard's penance, cheating death with his new Android body. Uh, could very well be. Yeah, uh, who knows? And, uh, and then, uh, let's see, Q and Picard kiss at the end, and their love <laughs> revives, revives Q. Q. That, that, that's Carlos. <laughs> Thank you for that. Um, nice. So, excellent. Uh, let us... Oh, uh, just very quickly, I was going to take our, uh, our last caller here about the episode. That'll be Cosmo. Uh, but we are counting down the minutes until we're joined by Kirsten Beyer and Mike Johnson. So, of course, they co-authored Third, no Man's Land. That's that bridge audiobook between seasons one and season two of Picard. So check that out. Stick around for that. And if you got questions or comments for them, I mean, come on. Yeah. This is this is Kirsten's show. So let's do it, okay? All right, Cosmo, what is on your mind tonight? And I see that you're joined there by someone with a starship. How's it going? Yes, indeed. James wanted to share a couple of things. What you got, James? Voyager. Voyager. Nice. Damn. And oh, and the Cleon Battle Cruiser. That's quite the Battle Cruiser. Yeah, I yes. tell you, they don't make toys like they used to. These are my hand-me-downs from the early '90s, and they're still intact and so cool. And Those are the uh, the Playmates, Playmates uh, yeah. toys, yeah. right? Yeah, I was yeah. I was gonna say Diamond, but yeah, we're but no. both a little it's bit five, past five Diamond. Those games. Okay, here I'll hold the Vorcha. Do they? Oh, you work on that. <laughs> the button's a little, um, little button's stuck. a little sticky after oh, no. thirty yeah. years. Yeah, he was doing it while you guys were talking, and uh, uh, yeah. Uh, so he's got a tool uh, there. He's got a yeah. 
there we go. Oh, there we go. Okay, all right. And the engine pylons go up and down. Oh, nice. We have we have active weapons. Okay. Nice for a a thirty year old toy. All right. Yes. Love you, buddy. Um, so I'll try and keep this quick. Um, sure. yeah, some of this Rafi Seven stuff hasn't really landed for me because, and it's mm. a, a nature of the th- uh, short season, and mm. they are spread across so many different stories. It just seems like every time they take a minute to have a little relationship talk, they have to do it while they're doing something work-wise and it just what keeps popping into my head is yeah. the uh temple of doom quote no time for love now dr Jones. <laughs> it's like, you guys are trying to fix the, this or do something super important to save the right. timeline can we not do the passive aggressive digs right now about how relationship status and stuff but it, it is right got two right. to cram it into and we've got to yeah. find out about rios and all this stuff so that that's just hasn't really landed for me I get uh, it. I, I get it. Uh, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. And, and there, there are some shows that I think do that to more of extreme, some shows that do a lot less of that. And I, yeah, I appreciate the journey that we're getting from Seven and, uh, and what is revealed about Rafi here. But yeah, it's one of those things where in a show like this, like the, they always have to be doing something as well. And it's like, okay, well, how do you use that time in these 10 episodes? Do you, do yeah. you stop and take time to have them do this like over dinner somewhere? Or, you know, well, well, let me ask you this. I'm sorry, there's a board queen on the loose. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Really, like, no time for a romantic dinner. Yeah. But but let me ask you this, then. How how did you feel about that scene with uh, Rios and Dr. Ramirez uh, on La Serena when they're having their their sort of heart-to-heart? It was okay. Uh, Rios has been one of my favorite parts of the the season. So um, I just hope they come back to the future because I don't want to lose Rios. Uh, But Mm. one thing that's been hanging over my head ever since they made the announcement about season three, Mm. there's not room for both the TNG cast and this current cast. So either we keep the current cast and the TNG people are just cameos Mm. or all these people go away and we have full of TNG folks. So that, that, cause there's 10 episodes, not enough room for both. Uh, so that, that makes me a little uncomfortable going into season three. Um, and then mean, yeah. uh, I've got to respectfully disagree with John about uh, <laughs> uh, agent Wells. So oh, okay. uh, yeah. I, I know Jay Carnes from the shield an outstanding show uh, from the early two thousands available uh-huh. on Hulu. Uh, and then th- that relativity episode of Voyager is one of my favorites. It, okay. It, okay. Um, and so when he first walked in, like some of the other folks, I, I thought, Oh, he's another Q. Cause it mm-hmm. was right mm-hmm. after Guinan did the thing. And he was yep. kind of acting similar to um, the other Q we met, the one who wanted to commit suicide. That, that was the vibe. Yeah. I was hearing. So I was pretty, I'm like, Oh, he's a Q. And then even when the FBI guys stormed in, I still thought he might be a Q. Um, and of course, Star Trek has a history of recasting people. Uh, yeah. Zephyrin Cochran and Roga Danar's uh, uh, Jailer. Uh, sure. Uh, yeah. Tim yeah. Russ across multiple things. Oh, yeah. yeah. My problem is that you chose somebody who was in another timey wimey episode. You know, mm. casting uh, him as Zephyrin Cochran and Roga Danar's thing. Not the same thing. Mm-hmm. It'd be like if they took the actor who played the traveler and had him show up in Picard and act a little cagey and then say, oh, no, he's just a businessman from 2024. 
Got it. it. Because he already, he carries this sort of like weird, mystical, timey-wimey baggage with him. Yeah. And if they would have taken Avery Brooks, who left Star Trek as a nonlinear, not corporeal uh, prophet, if he suddenly showed up and we say, oh, no, he's just a, you know, a cop. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but uh, by the take- by the way, can I can I just interrupt really quickly to say I'm glad you brought up Cisco because that was one of my other notes that I took uh, because there was this really great line uh, that Guinan has with, that she says to Picard, "You live in the past until you're able to reconcile it, even if it's painful. You do the work because you want to evolve." I thought that was brilliant. It was so well written. And just think how much time could have been saved if Guinan had an opportunity to explain <laughs> that to the prophets before they ever met Cisco. Done. <laughs> Done. Problem solved. Okay? Why do you live here? Well, you know, it's what we do. Uh, so, anyway, moving on. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, and, you know, take any other non-timey-wimey actor from Trek. You, you put, give me Jeffrey Combs in four different roles of Picard and I'm cool. <laughs> uh, you, just, you know that you took uh and that going back to voyager there's the year of hell where uh the dad from that 70s show the crinum they had a ship with temporal shields and they were able to exist through multiple timeline changes and stuff yeah and same thing with that time cop that jay Carnes played so that's why i thought it was a little that, that bugged me a little bit. Um, well, so let me ask you this, Cosmo. If you had to speculate, do you think we'll see that character again? And do you think there will be more revealed about him? Or do, do you think, just if you had to guess, like, are we done with, uh, with him? Uh, hard to say. I mean, I, I know we're going to have the battle with the Borgified Special Ops guys. So maybe oh, yeah. uh, well another butterfly. Them. Yeah, right. maybe he pulls in some <laughs> right. FBI favors to go help, and uh, I, I don't know. It, it it seemed like a lot of time put into that episode to have it be one and done. So I wouldn't yeah. be surprised. Yeah, thank goodness that none of those mercenaries, they, they have any other effect on the timeline. We can just assimilate them and have them go kick a bunch of butt on La Serena. Or but that's, yeah. That whole scene, that, that whole scene, I was like, oh, no, those more butterflies. And then I was like, oh, but the first contact music. <laughs> <laughs> yep, there you go. There you go. Uh, Cosmo, any other thoughts tonight? Uh, no, uh, just uh, Strange New Worlds is coming up real quick, isn't it? Yes, That's exciting. It is. Yeah. And, yes. and a quick uh, plug of the, the Patreon. Uh, I've been a Patreon subscriber for years now, but just in the last month, I've started listening to your unedited podcast, and it's a lot of fun. Uh, oh, I don't thank know if you. so long, uh, but it's amazing how long you guys talk, but it's still really interesting. So uh, if you're I, not I hope you don't listen to that when your son is around, because that, that's, when we, <laughs> that's when we drop all the, you know, the language. Just, uh, you no, know. That, that's okay. my alone time, so. Okay. All right. Good. James, good. Say bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> Thank bye, guys. James. Take care, Cosmo. Thank you. Bye. All right. Take it easy. Hey, uh, folks, this is a great time because we're coming up at the top of the hour. Now is the time to call back if you uh, missed the earlier part of the conversation. And if you would like to be here with our special guests, because indeed they are very special and they are standing by just mere minutes away from talking to us about Star Trek Picard, about No Man's Land, about the whole thing. So if you've got comments, if you've got questions, join us for our this is kind of like real time overtime. Right, Holly? Yeah. We just get to stick around. We get to chat. It's very casual. Uh, But before we get to that, any other thoughts on your end about tonight's episode? I'm just scanning through 
my notes. You know what I, yeah. I'm, you know what I'm actually really enjoying the expansion of the Alarians as a species, oh. because we see yeah. we see her do that. You called it a vision. I I mm-hmm. marked it as like a projection. Oh sure, okay. Because like, we've not seen yeah. any of them do that. I really because we've only seen what three Alarians in yeah. in the franchise history. So um, I always wanted to know more about them. And the the conversation that she has with Q is great because Q's like, oh, we haven't met yet because they don't met meet until the twenty second century, but now they've yes. met another butterfly. That that is, <laughs> <laughs> but that that's one of those scenes where it's so concise and gets across so much about both of them. And I love scenes like that where it's just, you know, you strip down everything else, a couple of great actors in a room together, and the dialogue just does all the work. And they're they're wonderful in it. I, I thought that was a great moment. Um so let's see here. What what else? I, I think that pretty much covers us for the notes, for the comments, and the discussion about tonight's episode. Had to get across my little dig about Cisco and the Prophets because you can't stop me. Um, and now, here we are at the top of the hour, and it is time to walk. I am so glad, folks, if you have not called in or if you called in before and you want to join us for this extra bonus conversation, now is the time to do so. Earl has posted the link in the chat again, so you can click on the Zoom meeting link, or you can call us or use the one tap from your your smartphone, and then you will be talking to Earl, and then you'll be talking to me and to Holly. But more important than that, you will be talking to our very special guest. We are joined tonight with Kirsten Beyer and Mike Johnson, a couple of experts in their own right in many things Star Trek, but very specifically where we are right now with Picard. And uh, to both of you, welcome to Mission Log Live. Pleasure to have you with us. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be here. Holly, it's good to see you. I know. I haven't seen both of you in so long. I know. How are you? (laughs) I'm good. How are you? Hanging there. Yeah. Like, you know, for the last, what, two and a half, well, two years now. Yeah. Just hanging in there. Trying to exist. You know, in my house. You know, trying not to die. (laughs) There you go. You, yeah. You're succeeding. You're, you're not yeah. just trying. So you're so succeeding good. at that. Yeah, very good. So uh, we, we've got you to talk about a couple of things tonight. First and foremost, we do want to uh, to mention No Man's Land, which is this uh, awesome, unique, original way to uh, to bridge a couple of stories together between season one and season two of Picard, this way to tell a story. And I, I'm curious because both of you have worked on projects like this where you go a little outside the boundaries of filmed Star Trek and get to create a supplemental story that fills in some of those gaps. And um, I'm just curious, you know, first of all, if you can talk to us a little bit about developing that idea and specifically deciding to do it as audio drama. It's Um, like a radio drama. It is. It is very, very different from what you think of as an audio book. Right. um, And why that particular format? Well, um, the format was actually decided on by Simon and Schuster. I think there have been a number of pretty successful forays into this type of product in the last several years, particularly by like Big Finish and Doctor Who. And um, they wanted to move into this area and they wanted to do it with Star Trek and specifically with Picard. So they reached out and were um, wanted to know if that was possible and if so, what kind of story we would do. And it was very early um, it was when we were still working in season one. So it took quite a while to uh, figure out how to make that happen and what the best way to do it was. But um, 
but yeah, so it was, it was the, it was Simon and Schuster driving. Well, so I'm kind of curious, Emma, because you said you're, you're doing this early on as you're still in season one. Do you already have in mind, okay, by the time we get to season two, this is where their relationship will be. This is where these characters will be. So no. we're just filling in the gaps. No, you're, you're mm-hmm. so you're sort of flying blind in a certain sense here. Yeah. I mean, it's, the, you know, the first sort of like consideration when you're talking about tie-ins is what areas of story can we develop further without risking damaging the rest of the story, right? Um, and what are going to be the most exciting areas for people to see? And once we brought back seven, it felt, at least to me, like that was an obvious choice. And then by the time we got to the end of season one, and it was clear that their relationship was going to go further. Um, it, it just felt like a very common sense thing to explore that and also giving us the possibility of digging into the Fenris Rangers a little bit because that had been dropped out there, but never really gone into any depth. So, Interesting. Mike, I want to ask your perspective on coming into this, because you, of course, you'd worked on uh, the Countdown comics and various forms. And so this seems to be uh, also a place where you've got a bit of experience filling in these gaps. I mean, is this a place that you find is... Uh, is it a little limiting or is it more freeing because you have this, I would think about Star Trek, you have this vast universe to play with, but you also have these sort of boundaries on what happens in that universe and all this 50 plus years of history that also go along with it. Yeah, that's the challenge. It was a fun challenge. It's always, um, it's a fun puzzle to figure out, you know, what story can we tell within the constraints, not only of whatever show we're tying into, but yeah, the franchise as a whole. Um, This one was a blast because it was the first time I wrote Star Trek for actors to read, which was, which was great. Um, And also just having to account for sound effects. I mean, comics uh, are my first love, but um, you can't hear them. So uh, that was, uh, that was fun rather than writing sound effects out um, actually writing the story, keeping in mind, how can we tell it just through sound? That was a really cool challenge. This is a really dumb question, but I have to ask because as a kid who grew up with mostly sci-fi comics, like I collected the comics that were related to franchises I already loved, like Star Trek, Star Wars, etc. Do you have a style book for those sound effects? Because like if I turn a page <laughs> and somebody's firing a phaser, if it's <laughs> spelled out, like do I get that same spelling five pages later? Or you and get so to make that it is up. A fantastic question. That is not a dumb question. That's why right? I'm here. That's why uh, I get the big Roddenberry bucks. Uh, that's a great question. Lettering <laughs> is is super important, and every writer has their own kind of box of sound effects. I um, <laughs> we're gonna get super nerdy deep dive here. Let's My, do it. <laughs> go to phaser sound effect is like shikow, which is S H K O W, which is that's like generic nice. energy blast. Okay. I also used it. I wrote Supergirl a few years ago, and that was the sound of her laser vision. So I'm not particularly. But I was writing the phasers before I was writing Star Trek before Supergirl. So I actually ripped it off (laughs) for Supergirl and then brought it back around. Um, So I'm not particularly good at sound effects. Uh, There's a lot of whams and cracks. I I keep it pretty, pretty simple. Onomatopoeias. Yeah. 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 Do, do you think you'd have a good case to bring against Disney for using Kachow? Because I, you might. Oh. 
I'm just, I'm wow. looking out for you. I'm, I would you never know. go up against the mouse. <laughs> well, kind of... the time might be good now. So, you know, yeah. I'm just, yeah, yeah uh, it's out there. Yeah, no. But yeah, yeah sound <laughs> effects are both really enjoyable and actually really hard to, to work, to get to work. <laughs> I bet. Well, hey, uh, we have one of our callers standing by who's got questions for you. So let's say hi to one of our many Pauls who is joining us again. It's Paul Harveth, who is joined by Tendi and a cat. Spot. Spot. Yeah. This is this is. Hello. Can you hear me? Yeah, there we go. This is the scone. He just happened to show up at an inappropriate time. (laughs) I I want to thank John and, and all involved with Mission Log and Holly and everybody to give this chance to talk to you. And I, as a fan of this show since day one, I just want to thank you for your work, period. It's just the most, I don't know, it, particularly in the middle of the pandemic when it came out and, and wow, thank you. Just thank you. Now, You're quite welcome. <laughs> that said, um, uh, for, for Mike, we may have a spinoff here for comic books. We were discussing earlier about Q as both the men in black and... Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. What was the other one? Uh, uh, X Files. X Files. Yeah. So just yeah. just the he. We were trying to figure out would he be a better X Files guy or a Men in Black guy. <laughs> but for Kirsten, it did Brent. Did Brent Spiner really want to be this bad of a guy since he was such a good guy for so many years? <laughs> and he just said, "Listen, I need to be a bad guy." Is that what happened here? I don't think so. <laughs> um, I mean, he's usually game for just about anything. You know, and the more different from what he's been able to do before, the better. Um, but uh, I mean, the challenge there is that every time you get a Zoom, there are these built in sort of characteristics that seem to trickle down over the ages. You know, the little hint of megalomania, the, the, the obsession with creation of life and artificial life. Um, so it's hard not to... Uh, keep trying to dig deeper in that sandbox, I think, when you have a Zoom, you know? I mean, for me, the fun would be to see Brent play something who's not a Zoom. (laughs) So Patrick Stewart input, last week's episode in particular seemed tremendously introspective. Um, How much of that input comes to you as showrunner saying, okay, we, we got this guy who we're writing the show for, we need to really listen to this and build it in. I mean, to me, I watched that episode and as someone, you know, in his demographic age group, roughly, man, it just hit the retirement, you know, everything that hits you when you retire and you're going through the show and it's like the elder, it's like the elder Star Trek. And I, it's more than that, obviously with all your other characters, but man, he just hits a vibe and you just roll with it. And you've done such an amazing job. How much of that came from Patrick Stewart? I mean, a lot, always. He embodies this character, you know, and you don't argue with that or with what he's bringing. Like in terms of the creation of story, particularly in season one, he had a great deal of input as we were really trying to pull it together in the beginning. And we're very interested to know like what he still wanted to say with this character and where he wanted to go with it. Um, we spent weeks together, uh, the, the, the first writer's room um with him just sort of sharing you know a lot about where he was at and where he felt the card was at and where he wanted things to go so we were we were i think really lucky to be able to fold that perspective into the rest of our story building and world building and then 
after that, it just becomes a matter of every time there's a script, he's talking, digging into it, talking with us, working on it. Um, and then when we start shooting, he's there every day going, ah, maybe this, maybe that. Is there a, you know, he's a very hands-on, very um, hardworking and just, you know, brilliant performer. Um, honestly, my favorite thing is to watch him when literally he's saying nothing because I always know exactly what he's thinking. And it's breathtaking to like be able to see that and for somebody to be able to do that. Um, but, but yeah, I would say his contribution is, has always been quite major, you know? And okay. For both of you then, as you wrote the audio drama. So I look at this as Michelle Hurd's in a brand new sandbox, right? But seven of nine has this developed character. So mm-hmm. I think she's has a huge advantage. Does, do you, feel the same way writing it or do you feel in a box when you're writing for seven of nine even though we're x years in the future or x years in the past as it may be now without borg implants has she been freed as a character i don't know mike what do you think i think it's a good point that she's not the seven that we knew for so long um on voyager that she is in a way it is like writing a new character like raffi the fun of the fun of this project was putting those two together. And of course, as fans, we bring with it the memory of the seven that we knew um, and, the, and how we saw her in season one. But yeah, it was about finding out both more about Rafi as a new character and more about seven and where she is now. And then putting those two together and how they bounce off of each other is really what gives the story life. And we wanted to tell a love story, ultimately. Well, amazing work. I look forward to the audio drama. Um, huge fan of the Doctor Who audio, audio drama. So I'll look forward to this on a, on a drive to Chicago. And one last huge thank you for the character of Gerardi. Um, Holy cow, what an arc. And looking forward <laughs> to see how this wraps up. She's just an amazing actress in an amazing role. Thank you so much. Live long and prosper, you too. And thank you for everything. <laughs> Thank you. Well, thanks for sticking around, my friend. Um, hey, I do want to go to the uh, some of the chat. Uh, someone called Bob Amos. Oh. Uh, <laughs> has, my dad. Holly. <laughs> has my commented dad. to say, I uh, have not listened to this audio book, but I am a huge fan of old radio shows. They're done in the same manner as this. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, commenting on that, Jane says, yes, the story is not very long, but engaging, and all the characters are read slash played by different actors. So, yes. Yeah, so they're, it's they're, like yeah. an hour. 40 minutes, I mm-hmm. think, is the runtime yeah. on it. It's a pretty, pretty quick. But yeah, so my dad, um, not to go off on a tangent, um, my dad uh, collected old time radios and restored them and like has somewhere between three and 400, I think. And at some point, like he genuinely like had to stop because we didn't have any more like space in the house anymore oh but, thank goodness um, all my favorite mcgee and ollie jokes finally i have an audience for that yes yeah, fibber mcgee and molly is like yeah, my yeah. dad for a while was sort of like falling asleep to fibber mcgee and molly i remember it like <laughs> echoing out of my parents bedroom um so yeah i grew up with that kind of stuff because my dad was into it so when this came out i was like oh that's like what you know what my dad was into um and the fact that like, not only do we get, you know, the, the two main actors, but we have like, you know, uh, Fred Tattashore, who is also in lower decks and like, we're expanding, Mm -hmm. um, you know, these actors who we're seeing in other Star Trek things, which I appreciate. So, 
um, and sound effects. And like, I, it was, it was fun. It was fun. And it was reminiscent of the type of stuff that I grew up with because of what my dad was into. So Related to that, uh, Jane also uh, says uh, sort of a, a general question is, I would like to know about Raffi drinking wine with seven in the audiobook. I believe it's a uh, Picard Vineyard uh, comments about that, because that that is something we were talking about. I don't know if you saw our conversation prior to joining us, but that is something that has been a topic of conversation is Raffi's the 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 baggage the difficulty that she had in season one and then obviously some changes that she has gotten to in season two but still carries that uh addiction uh with her so there is a scene in the audiobook where that occurs uh thoughts comments a little deeper dive into that for either of you so is the question whether or not the fact that she's drinking wine means she's still yes i believe so yeah so this is a tough one because like there is a difference I think between the snake weed and the alcohol, although mm-hmm. addiction is addiction is addiction. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, it feels like the substance that was really destroying her ability to function was what she was smoking. Um, and you know, which is not to say, like, I can't say for sure that alcohol isn't a gateway to that, but it doesn't seem to have been for her. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not sure that her, the sort of overcoming that she did in season one is undone in any way by the beginning of the audio drama. It certainly was not the intention that it would be. Um, but I do think that um for someone who struggles with addiction that you know she would sort of always have to be mindful of what sorts of things would trigger her most strongly but it doesn't appear that alcohol is one of them that's fair good yeah um another question for you then uh so this is uh, sort of an experimental thing here for Star Trek that we haven't had an audio drama quite like this. And I'm sure that you are probably both aware of like big Finnish audio uh, out of the UK that have done this extraordinary job of filling in more stories with other shows. Do you think that we're seeing the first of many, many more to come? Tell your friends. Tell your friends. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. Okay. I sure I would love to do it again and I know that there are other gr- you know great trek writers out there who w- would create amazing um audio dramas as well. So yeah, I really hope this is like a new branch of this trek tree that you know we have all these branching shows and everything. It's it's a uh, I'm trying to take my botanical metaphor as far as I can, but you know, there's <laughs> everything's flowering. So I hope that <laughs> Uh, yeah, good. the audio dramas, this is the first of a, a long line of them. By the way, Carlos in the chat says, spoilers, give us spoilers. No. <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> so, um, and we are joined, by the way, a very important check-in at the moment by Captain Mike. How was the pizza? It was excellent. So I'm uh, on a... Uh, kind of an unscheduled overnight in Chicago. So I picked okay. up my daughter who goes to college here and we uh, 
um, headed over to Lou Malnati's and it was very nice. Okay. Well, Frey said that he agreed with me that it was bad. So like, maybe I just was exposed. To I, that. Yeah. There's something wrong, there, something wrong with both of you. Yeah. There are those who believe that Chicago style pizza is more of a casserole uh, and less of a pizza per se. Uh, as a as a Long Islander, I believe that it should be greasy and need to be kind of folded <laughs> in half to maintain some sort of structural integrity to eat it. But as someone who grew up in Chicago, let me just say, yeah, say I it. totally agree with you, Mike, that that is pizza, and Chicago is is it's it's lasagna y. I had to eat it with a knife and fork, and then it was right. soggy in the middle. And I just... love it. I love it, but pizza to me is like in New York City, the greasiest corner shop I can find. Like, <laughs> I uh, I do love it, but it's it's different, and it's a, it's a treat um, when I get it. Would it make you feel better, Mike, if I just got a slice of Lou's, folded it in half, and shoved that down my gullet? Because it, I, if that's I would what it pay takes, money. To call, yeah, uh, I'm not above it because I love. I lived in Chicago for 15 years, and I love lose, and I still crave it to this day. My paraphrase, Doctor McCoy, I would give real money to see you <laughs> shove that down your throat. I will hop a I will hop a red eye just to come meet you to have pizza. That and and wait a minute, Mike, because this is what I do on our show. I I take it to food. Have you been to Chicago Pizza and Oven Grinder Company on Lincoln? I have not. Okay, what well, Mike Mike Johnson. I have not. Oh, my God. Okay. All right. Well, the next time you're back in Chicago, that's the place that does the pizza pot pie. And you're you're free to not call it pizza. Go ahead. You're not going to offend me personally, but it's delicious. And it's baked upside down in a crock. They bring it to your table. They turn it upside down. It's about 900 degrees when they do. So don't touch it. They lift that crock off and then boom, beautiful, delicious pizza. We were a Giordano's family on the south side. Oh, sure. Yeah. Giordano's. Nothing wrong with that either. Well, when when we're all there, we'll go up on Lincoln. We'll do it in Fullerton. Yeah. Chicago Ooh, pizza and oven like grinder. pizza hopping. Yeah. All right. Mike, uh, Captain Mike, get us back on topic. <laughs> Chicago style pizza isn't the only thing we talk about on Mission Log Live. <laughs> right. We also talk about Star Trek Picard and uh, yes. the No Man's Land audiobook. So I want to yes. thank both of you so much. Uh, that was wildly entertaining. Um, the Simon Schuster had uh, a giveaway. It was going on the last few weeks, and I decided to use one of my uh, audible um uh, Amazon credits for it and listened to it last week and loved it. And also, you know, I love the the length of it about an hour and 40 minutes or so. So it didn't, uh, didn't take very long and you could just sort of, you know, the sound effects and the way it was done, you can just kind of paint the picture in your head with that sort of overexpanded thing that you get from a traditional audio book. So, uh, so that was great. Um, the question I have for you, and it's not in the interest of spoilers necessarily but cosmo one of our last callers did say that next year we got you know much of the tng cast coming back in in what you know aspect mm-hmm. and you know how many minutes they'll get and how many episodes they'll be in we don't know um you know will there be it will be kind of a crowded house with the you know existing uh, as rios put it a group of misfits including a cybernetic queen intent on wiping us out and one of his old cohorts and you know all of the cast that we know and love and well so mm-hmm. so much um, you know, are we going to see maybe like a Rios uh, Stargazer spinoff after Picard season three wraps? Ooh. Well, that that would be a spoiler for them to answer it. So, <laughs> sure. But so, is, is there so, any, so the any question, I think the question. Did, did we just. Yeah, did, we the question, for me, John? yeah, the question is, do you like that idea? Are you opposed to that idea? <laughs> 
I mean, I'm never going to say no to more Rios, right? <laughs> yeah. Amazing. He um, is. Yeah, I love him. I love him as an actor, and I love that character. Um, as to the those kinds of possibilities, like, I have absolutely no earthly idea. Like, I'm of no help to you at this point. <laughs> <laughs> But but Mike, get that uh, resume in because you know, like if you know, if there's another production coming, you know, uh, sure, the Adventures you know, of Rios and Doctor Ramirez, get on that yeah. show, okay? And if he's not if he's not available, I'll uh, you know, sure, I'll I'll throw my head in the ring. Yeah, I'm sure that you could sure, sure that would work out just yeah. just great. Um, yeah. But no, just thanks so much for being on the show, giving us a chance to talk to you. Uh, I think you know I loved what Patrick Stewart said at STLV a few years ago that right now we needed the show. Uh, to kind of show us the way, to show us that uh, even though season two has shown us going down a very dark path, we don't have to, and we can correct that. And we can make these small corrections now uh, before things get uh, too far out of hand. And it does give, I think, those of us that do believe in a brighter future for all of us, uh, some hope. And thanks for keeping that alive. Or we can squash a bunch of butterflies. I would say sometimes <laughs> sometimes what you're describing, Mike, takes finding a body in an alley in downtown L.A. So, but, Always, uh, right? well, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you've been here. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right, Mike, yeah. take care. Have a great night. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Mike. Nice to talk to you, Mike. Uh, so I've got a uh, a question. I, I realize that there's no one way that a writer ever approaches any project, but you, you both have had your hands in a multitude of places, you know, books and graphic novels and audio and TV. And, and I'm curious, especially for something within the Star Trek realm, where you have established characters, you have these you know, sometimes more loosely defined parameters, sometimes hard parameters. Do you feel like there's any one thing that comes first? Is it, so for example, Picard or a story like No Man's Land, is it, we want to get these characters from point A to point B, or is it more like we want to tell a story that has these particular elements or this particular point, this particular thing to say to the audience? Or is it just sort of whatever happens at the moment that you're that you're creating? Well, for me, it always always starts with character. Um, these are these are people that, for better and worse, live inside my head in a very <laughs> real and detailed way, and have for a very long time. I mean, I've I've been writing Seven of Nine's character in the Voyager relaunch for twenty years before I even you know started this. So. Um, uh, it's always about where they are. And in the case of like this project, we knew where they had to get to. Um, but there was a lot of ground to cover. And um, in so many ways, the most interesting part of their story felt like, how would these two even manage to connect? Because they both have so much baggage and such difficult histories. Um so, but just like on a like surface, like writing level, it for me is always character and emotion, obstacle, and how are we going to overcome it? Mm-hmm. And Mike, yeah, it's uh, it's a bit like um, doing a jigsaw puzzle where you're sort of creating the pieces as you go. Um, you're you're picking up things like we knew we wanted to, in addition to everything that Kirsten described about our main characters, we knew we wanted to show more of the Fenris Rangers. Um, we knew we wanted 
to introduce an interesting MacGuffin in the story, which is the Lemnus Gate in this case. And by extension, um, the characters, the professor and his wife and how um, their story sort of became a mirror for Rafi and Seven. And, and so you start, as you start to put these pieces together, new ideas form, and that's the plot really grows out of that. You know, the plot of we go here, we go there, this happens, this happens, this happens. Once you've kind of got your pieces together, then you, you should really formulate um, the story as a whole. And I think we had an advantage here because we did, even though we were within the confines of what we could do with the characters, uh, it's a big universe out there. So we could create new planets. Um, we could explore things that hadn't been explored as much, like what is the situ- what's the status quo out there in what's left of the Romulan Empire? So we could introduce uh, this Romulan character that we wanted to sound a little different from Romulans you'd seen before. Um, yeah, so really um, always starting with character and then pulling in different pieces of things that you want to show, that you want to play with, building the story from there. I'm curious then because, yeah, you, you're both uh, aligned on uh, character, which absolutely makes sense and absolutely is how any number of writers would approach something like this. Is there some point of discussion then that enters the room when you look at Star Trek and, and its overall legacy of having something to say as you know, social metaphor, political metaphor, um, do you feel like that's something that sort of naturally comes into the storytelling as you explore the character journey and go, oh, wait, now we can tell this story that has this present day relevance, that has this message? Um, at, at what point, how does that enter the development? I mean, in some ways, especially with this one, it's already baked in, right? We have a world that was destroyed by this ecological disaster. And we have all kinds of people, you know, having no home worlds left. You have folks with limited resources trying to pick up the pieces and just sort of, I mean, there's a moment where I think Rafi says, you guys are really holding the universe together with your bare hands, aren't you? Like that resonate has always resonated with like this moment in our history. Right. So like, I think, I I feel like in some ways what you're asking is like, do we, is there an agenda that we come in with something that we want to say or want to talk about and we lay that on top? Mm. And for me, the answer is no. Mm. Um, For me, it's enough that we have already created this sort of very complex and dynamic reality and then figuring out what that means for these two main characters and for actually all of our characters is sort of the task. And, and by, keeping that as real and present and as forward in your mind as you can, that, that part of it kind of takes care of itself. You know what I mean? Like I don't, there's, I never feel like I'm intentionally messaging, but Mm -hmm. there is a level of, I don't think you can finish something that I've written or in this case that Mike and I wrote together and not know kind of where, you know, at least this story has come down on, any number of issues. 
We're right up against the clock here. I know that we have to go. Alan in the chat has a great question uh, specifically about TV here. He says, serious question, what are the challenges in trying to write an individual episode in a season-long story arc? This is something we've been discussing in the Discord quite a bit recently. I know that's probably going to take a lot more than 60 seconds, but uh, I'm curious (laughs) if you can address uh, what Alan is asking here. Well, the challenge is always creating a single story that is also part of a bigger story. Um, In the case of a serialized show like Picard, um, on the episodic, you know, I'm working on Strange New Worlds. That's an episodic thing. That's a totally different beast. um, And it's its own delightful, joyful thing. Um, The, I think the, the challenge is, is, is always, you know, you got to tell a great story and you got to have characters moving it along and it's got to be fabulous and it's got to fit into the bigger picture. But the nice thing about it is you're never alone, right? You've got a room of incredibly talented people. Um, you've got very great peers and showrunners um, who are going to be with you every step of the way and are also going to be, then there's all these other brilliant people who come in, the actors, the production designers, the costumers, who, who, who piece by piece bring this thing to life. So as much as the, the writing is like the beginning, it re- there really is so much more to the episodes and it you know, I don't feel like like all of this weight and pressure is on just me or just you know my co-writers it's it's um it's on all of us and we're all sharing it and that makes it lighter Excellent. And uh, just one last thought here from Carlos. I really love these stories and novels that fill in the blanks between episodes and series and helps retcon things like Peter David's Vendetta. And that, my friend, is what you get in No Man's Land by our two fabulous guests. So thank you to Kirsten and Mike for joining us. And if anybody hasn't yet checked it out, uh, well, you you missed your chance to get one for free from us, but at Simon Audio, or you can go to their website and uh, we'll, we'll tell you how to get uh, a copy. So yes, No Man's Land, the audio drama that takes place between seasons one and two of Picard. Uh, Kirsten and Mike, thank you so very much for uh, taking a little time to chat with us tonight. Thank you. Thank you. This was so fun. Bye, Holly. Bye. Bye. Holly, I'll see you in a couple of weeks. And with that, Mission Log Live is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Technical production on Mission Log and Mission Log Live by the indisputable Earl Green. Be sure to visit podcast.roddenberry.com for the latest from Roddenberry Podcast. If you'd like to support Mission Log directly, give us a look at patreon.com slash mission log. Thank you, Holly. Thanks to everyone who joined us live or later. We look forward to talking with you next week. This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com.